Hello and welcome to episode 1 of Late Night Linux Extra, recorded on the 5th of May 2018, and I'm Joe. And on this episode, I'm going to be talking to Daniel Foray of Elementary OS, and also Matthew Miller from Fedora. And later in the show, I'll tell you a little bit more about it and about the new format and what's going on. Don't panic, Late Night Linux is still uh, going strong and uh, not changing. This is an additional show. But before that, I'm going to be talking to Matthew Miller, who is the Fedora project lead, about the new release of Fedora 28. So welcome to the show, Matthew. Hi, I'm glad to be here. So Fedora 28 is a pretty big release. Um, The thing that stood out for me was in the workstation version of it, this new ease of installation of proprietary software. This is very new for Fedora. Traditionally, it's been relatively straightforward to install things like Chrome and the NVIDIA drivers, but now it's just a couple of clicks away. Yeah, um, and this has been something we've kind of struggled with in how to do right, because freedom is one of Fedora's fundamental values. Software freedom is important to us. On the other hand, um, being a theoretical pure freedom distribution that doesn't actually work on anybody's hardware doesn't actually help anybody either. And so we've always had kind of a balanced approach to that. For example, uh, we ship binary firmware um, as you know, part of Fedora, even though it is non-free software. Um, it's just kind of a concession to what we need to do to make people's laptops go. Um, and so we kind of tried to figure out a way to do this in a way that felt like it doesn't compromise our values uh, so we don't include any of the software in Fedora, even if it's redistributable, if it's not open source software that you know runs on the CPU rather than firmware, um, we don't distribute it. Um, and we wanted this to be an opt-in kind of thing. And as part of the opt-in, have an opportunity to tell people about, you know, what free software is and say, you know, this, you're opting into things that might contain stuff that isn't um, what Fedora really would like the world to be like. Uh, so I think I think we've worked on a UI that kind of gives that good balance. At the same time, we didn't want to be lecturing people. You're a terrible person for trying to make your hardware work because that's off-putting and um, not what we want to be in Fedora either. But there's not that much in there at the moment, is there? Are there plans to expand um, in Fedora 29 or even within this release cycle to have more uh, proprietary stuff in there? I think the main thing is to, you know, kind of make it able uh, to get, you know, that hardware enablement and kind of big popular software things that people, uh, you know, we know people are using Steam and Chrome on Fedora all the time. So it's not really a big difference there. I don't think we're going to have a big push beyond what we've got. Um, it's also interesting. I mean, the, the same kind of idea of, of enabling third party things. Uh, it's not necessarily just for, um, for proprietary software, there is some, you know, open source software that is, um, kind of hard to get packaged up in Fedora in the traditional way. Um, I think, uh, Microsoft's VS Code is one I would be really interested in looking at. So Microsoft makes a repository for that available and it's completely open source. It's just the way it's all packaged together. It's something that would be very painful to package in Fedora. So that's one of the ones that I think would be interesting, and it's a very popular code editor, obviously. I think that's available as a Snap, isn't it? And you do support Snaps as well as Flatpaks, don't you? Yeah, so we do support Snaps and Flatpak. Um, I don't know the state of it as a Snap. Um, snaps in Fedora are a little bit... I, um, I, I don't think the SE Linux stuff is all there, so there's not... Um, the sandboxing model isn't complete. Um, so, But that that is definitely one other way to get it. And I know we have some community members working on making that better. And I, I, there's a proposal. Um, we have a project in the works to take existing Fedora packages 
and create flat packs from them, um, mostly automatically. And there's a, another proposal to do the same thing with snaps, um, because Fedora is a pretty great source of curated software and, um, making that available in different formats would be cool. Yeah, because some of the the bigger proprietary, well, more popular proprietary stuff like Skype and uh, Spotify, the snaps of those that I'm told work very well. So that just seems like a a fairly easy way to solve the problem to me. Yeah, and I was actually just looking at um, our, we have a new documentation site with a new docs engine. We're actually going through a new generation of it. But um, I was looking at the site stats for searches for that and... uh, the top one is Fedora Spotify, and the second one is Spotify Fedora. So there's definitely <laughs> a lot of demand for that in particular. Yeah. So yeah, um, we we might look into that. Um, I, to me, um, I, I I'm not a Spotify user, and I try to avoid proprietary software where I where I can. So uh, personally, uh, this isn't very exciting to me, except for uh, in the way that it enables um, you know more people to use Fedora, and I bring. Uh, advanced Fedora and I help advance free software and open source software that way. But I am personally not really interested in going out and looking for more things we can include in that way. It's just not my my thing. Some people, other people might be more interested in it. Fedora is a big project. So apart from the latest version of GNOME and everything, what is new in the workstation version of Fedora 28? Um, so I know there's been a lot of work on battery life. And one of the things that uh, Hans de Good worked on that it's workstation and other things is the VirtualBox guest drivers are now upstreamed and as part of Fedora, which makes um, running Fedora inside VirtualBox on another operating system work more smoothly. But yeah, a new GNOME is kind of the kind of the showcase thing for for the workstation release. Um, a lot of our emphasis this time around has not been on the workstation, but on uh, Fedora server and uh, this modularity concept. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So what exactly does that mean then? So basically, uh, one of the problems people always have uh, is uh, with any operating system, uh, you've got your stuff that you care about, your applications, and then um, you, there's a whole bunch of other operating system. And kind of uh, traditionally, um, picking an operating system is committing to a life cycle for that operating system. So if you pick Fedora, you know, we're on a 13-month life cycle. If you pick, you know, Ubuntu LTS, you have a five month, five year cycle. If you pick, um, you know, RHEL, it's like a 10 extended, whatever, uh, thousands of years of support if you want to pay for it, right? Um, but the trade off is, um, when you pick those longer ones, you have some advantages, but everything else goes maybe more slowly than you wanted. Or if you pick something that moves fast, um, maybe things update too quickly. So, uh, modularity lets us as a distribution easily provide um, choices that will kind of last across that. So, for example, we have Node.js in, um, I think, version 6, 8, 9, and 10 as modules. And those will kind of consist, those will exist for the upstream lifecycle of those versions of Node. And so, you know, if you're using Node and your application is Node 6, you don't have to worry about Fedora's lifecycle. You can just upgrade Fedora and keep using Node 6 on top of it, even though Fedora might be upgraded underneath. Um, and so I, I use, I use Node because that's the one we've got packaged up right now. We have a couple other things, Django and some other things, but we're going to expand that into further things in the future, some databases, um, things like that. Uh, the technology behind it also from a distro making point of view, um, it makes it so that we can maintain that one version across different Fedora bases. Right now, 
um, if we wanted to have Mongo, you know, without modularity, if we wanted to have multiple versions of Mongo um, for you know, Fedora 26 and 27 and 28, you'd actually have to have three different builds of it and three different things. And so this um, system actually lets you uh, maintain one, uh, you know, one node uh, six and have that build across all of those things. And uh, hopefully soon also build on an enterprise Linux base so that we'll be able to build those things, you know, for CentOS and RHEL, um, kind of an extended Apple um, using the modules. All right. One of the new things is automatic updates on Atomic Host then, but that's opt-in rather than by default. Yeah, and this is, um, we're kind of, um, I don't, you may, may have noticed um, <laughs> Red Hat bought CoreOS recently, and so yeah. there's a lot of overlap between what Project Atomic does and what CoreOS does with Container Linux. And so we're kind of looking at some of those kind of things, the team working on that. Um, and so one of the things that's very popular in Container Linux is this automatic update. So I don't know, I don't know exactly where all that came from, but I think that's kind of exploring some of those things. And um, as a sysadmin um, in my former life before doing this job, um, automatic updates with a really good management system behind that really um, makes it possible to scale beyond you know, maintaining two or three machines to the world today where you know one sysadmin has thousands of machines. Um, and so I, I'm pretty excited about this, especially because the, you know, the atomic technology makes it easy to, if something goes wrong with an update, roll back to an earlier version so automatic updates make sense. So yeah, it's opt-in right now, but um, hopefully in the future uh, we'll go to full automatic system because I think that's really cool. Yeah, and uh, also Atomic Workstation is a thing now. Um, how does that differ from the standard workstation then? Um, so yeah, and I think there actually there's a um, we have a new code name for it, which is Silver Blue. That's going to. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, what uh, what's with the name change? Um, I think uh, the the atomic um, name kind of got connected to you know, is, is is supposed to be focused on the server container workload kind of thing, and so the atomic workstation branding was a little bit blurry with that. And I also I know that some people on on the on the team working on it um, feel like workstation has some connotations of like a 1990s um, tower under your desk kind of thing, <laughs> and they wanted something a little more modern. Um, so. Silver Blue's the code name. I don't know what our final branding will be for that as that project goes forward. But yeah, so the interesting thing about that is um, it uses a technology called RPM OS tree, which uh, has been kind of described as Git for your operating system. So instead of working with packages, you kind of have a, a commit that is a certain state for an up, for a tree that exists somewhere. So it's kind of a way of doing an image-based operating system rather than working on the individual package level. There's kind of a, this is the release state here and there and there. Um, and the advantage of that is easily you can you know, roll back to other things. You can jump ahead. Um, if you have a bug, you could you know, basically get bisect to find exactly where that thing started. Um, and so there's a lot of neat things that that lets you do. Um, and it, it ends up decoupling your operating system for your application. So things like Flatpak or Snap um, are pretty important on top of that. Uh, and something to run like your development environment in a pet container, an OCI Docker style container, um, are an important part of that because uh, the idea is um, you don't just you know install random things onto your base operating system. You treat the operating system as a unit. Um, and so it gives advantages as a user because updates can be very consistent. And as a project, we can QA something that's the same on everybody's system. Whereas right now with, you know, traditional Linux distribution, 
everybody's system is very different. So um, debugging is a intensive process with a lot of investigation of, oh, you've got this version of this on your system. Well, everybody else has this, and you've installed this other thing. So um, that makes it easier from there. Um, doesn't necessarily cover everybody's use case, because a lot of people like to tweak and install different things. But for a large number of people where, you know, the main thing is they've uh, you want something that's kind of like a Chromebook-style experience for your operating system, where you know, the operating system takes care of itself, you install your applications on top of that, and you don't worry about what's going on. I think uh, that that's kind of the idea of this. And so when do you think that it's going to be the main version, if ever? Do you think that um, you're going to stick long-term with having two different workstation versions, or do, is this the future? I think it is the way things are ten- trending in the future, but there's a lot of stuff that needs to be in place before it's right for people. For example, we do need that Flatpak ecosystem, um, which we it doesn't really exist right now. You need to easily be in- able to install basically anything you can install right now onto Fedora um, desktop systems as they exist. You need to be able to get that same stuff. Um, and we need also need to have that pet container environment set up and really slick so that, you know, you can drop to a command line and do whatever you want to do um, without feeling like, oh, this is a um, lockdown operating system that doesn't let me do anything because we don't want to have, and we can't just have the pure Chrome experience because that's not very good for developers or um, you know, sysadmins or any, any, anybody doing advanced things in on, on their system it needs a little more flexibility than that. So there's more work to be done to make you know, the experience on par. So I think probably... Um, Probably they'll be in parallel for a while, and we'll kind of see where the popularity goes. I did see the words "daily driver" used um, with regards uh, uh, Team Silverblue or whatever you're calling this atomic workstation. That seems a little bit far off at this point, doesn't it? Um, I know that some people are using it that way right now, but yeah, I think there are people for whom you know the use case fits pretty well. Um, so. Um, I think it's a ways before it can be everybody's daily driver, but that's absolutely the goal is to make it so it certainly can be your main system. Yeah. One thing I forgot to ask you about with the the server version is that um, 64-bit ARM is now a primary architecture. That seems to reflect uh, a change in the whole kind of data center market. We're kind of finally there, aren't we, in terms of um, these decent 64-bit ARM clusters? Yeah, uh, you know, kind of real hardware, real hardware rather than um, toy systems that you know are, are gadgets and fun to play with, which is also cool and important. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a it's becoming mainstream, and so we want to make sure that Fedora is available to people there. Yeah, it's good to see. I mean, if I was Intel, I would be a bit worried at this point, to be honest, because I, I know they make a lot of money out of data center stuff, and it does feel a little way off, but. I don't know, ARM just seems to be uh, on the march, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, Intel should be worried, I guess. But on the other hand, competition is good. And I think that you know, having um, just AMD as the possible balance isn't, isn't enough to really um, sort of light the fire under Intel. So even if Intel ends up still being the dominant player, it's really good to have for them to have significant, meaningful competition. Um, that's just things work better that way. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. I know that you're um, preparing for the uh, Red Hat Summit next week. Yeah. Um, if anybody's at Red Hat Summit, come to Community Central and come to the Fedora booth. Talk to me. Um, we'll be there. The CentOS people will be there. Um, Container Linux, CoreOS people will be um, down the hall a little bit, um, all in the same area. Yeah. What are the dates of that then? 
Um, it is next week from, I think, Tuesday to Thursday. Uh, so Tuesday the 8th till Thursday the 10th of May, because this is actually going to go out. We're peering behind the curtain here. We're recording this a few days early. It's going to be released on uh, kind of Monday night, Tuesday. So right. people will be maybe even listening to this on the way to the summit. Right. That sounds great. Um, and I look forward to talking to anybody who shows up. Yeah. So did I miss anything? Is there anything else you want to mention about Fedora 28? Um, uh, not Fedora 28 right now, but um, coming up soon, uh, we have uh, a Fedora IoT spin, which will also be using the OS tree technology, the same kind of image-based thing. Um, that will be aimed at kind of, you know, smaller devices and gadgets and hacking and things like that. Um, and this is kind of a new emerging area in Fedora that we could use your help with. So if people are interested in that, um, look up the Fedora IoT project and uh, join in because I really like to build that up and possibly have that as another Fedora edition by Fedora 29 or Fedora 30. Okay, great. Uh, one thing I really uh, should have asked you about was the the spins because, I am no uh, friend of GNOME, put it that way. I just do not get on with it. I'm an XFCE user, and I know that you do have spins for pretty much all of the desktops. Um, to, to what extent are they officially supported? Um, you know, Is it like the Ubuntu flavors where there's kind of infrastructure support, or how does it work? Uh, so they are more part of the pro- – they're closer to us than, than the way Ubuntu does it. Um, we, yeah, so our main – kind of have this uh, – yeah, the additions are things that – fit some use cases that we think are important from a high strategic level. And we sort of asked for, you know, team, hey, we need something that fits this, you know, server role. We need something for containers and cloud. We need something for some kind of desktop thing. And we try to, you know, have that targeted at a, a certain use case and kind of showcase that on the front page. Um, and then the spins are more desktop technology showcases. So Fedora Workstation is GNOME-based, but it's not basic, it's not like here's our best foot forward for GNOME. It's just, this is our best foot forward for Fedora on the desktop. And we happen to have you know, people working on GNOME that can power it. Uh, whereas the spins are more like, we love KDE and we want there to be a great KDE experience in Fedora. And so the people in you know KDE worked on that. Uh, so, um, you know, uh, like KDE spin, for example, is release blocking. If there are problems there, we do hold up the whole release to make sure that those are in line because we want to make sure that that's a, a nice polished experience for people for anything we're shipping. Um, and uh, th- there does tend to be a little bit less effort. Um, well, that's not the right word, but um, the the teams be- behind all the desktop things uh, tend to be a little bit smaller with this, you know, two, three, four people who are working on each one rather than a, a larger group. Um, but those um, are, you know, part of, they're, they're not a second class citizen sort of situation. They're really part of, you know, Fedora project proper. Uh, the other thing we have um, are labs, which are kind of like the spins. And um, this isn't necessarily the most um, obvious terminology, but the spins are basically these desktop showcases I was talking about. And then the labs are things for more targeted use cases. Like we have a Python classroom lab and there's a robotics suite and kind of things for like sp- certain special interests, kind of collections of software pre-configured to be really useful for a certain specific case. So we also have demos um, around those kind of things. And that's an area I'd like to build up more in the future as well. Okay, great. Well, yeah, thank you for coming on and hopefully catch up when we're almost at uh, Fedora 29 then. And uh, you can give us some updates on that. Yeah, that sounds great. I'll be glad to talk to you then. So exciting things going on with Fedora, particularly with the uh, Atomic Workstation stuff. That seems to be a very promising idea for the future. So this is a new show. And the idea is to fill the gap between late night Linux 
releases. That show's every two weeks. This show's going to be every two weeks. So you'll get something every week from now on. And it's going to be just me to start with. I don't know, the format's kind of fluid to some extent. We'll have to see how that all works out. But it's going to be me talking to distro maintainers and free software devs about what's going on with their projects, not necessarily releases. Um, Fedora 28 has been released, and so that's why I spoke to Matthew there. But I'm going to be talking to Daniel in a second about uh, the beta of uh, Elementary OS 5, Juno, which is coming out soon hopefully hopefully it may even be out by the time you listen to this but we'll have to see about that one and i just want to get updates from various projects about where they're going and what's happening and i would very much love to be able to have this show give back to the community and an obvious way to do that would be to donate money to the projects who come on and talk to me about what they're up to but the only way i can make that happen is if this show makes some money, this show needs to be a success. And there's no way of me telling that straight away. I need to put it out there, see how well it gets downloaded and see if we get some new patrons and eventually maybe even get some sponsors on the show. So I don't know, that's the kind of long-term goal is to be able to give back to the projects, the kind of the show that gives back to the community. So if you go to latenightlinux.com slash support, there's various ways you can help out with Patreon and PayPal. And if you like the show, do let me know, latenightlinux.com slash contact. There's various ways to get in touch. And if you've got suggestions for people who you'd like to uh, hear on the show and you know projects that ought to be covered, then, uh, of course, let me know about that as well. So this show is going to have its own RSS feed, but I thought it would be a good idea to have a combined RSS feed for this show and the main Late Night Linux if you want to subscribe to that. Rather than reading out all the URLs now, if you just go to latenightlinux.com slash feeds with an S, then you'll find links to all of the uh, various RSS feeds there. There's not going to be an OG feed for this show. I don't think we need it. If people really, really want one, then I can see about sorting one out. But uh, I think MP3 is free enough at this point. So uh, yeah, let's just stick with that for now. So I mentioned Daniel Foray from Elementary OS. Well, the Juno release is round the corner. The beta is very, very soon, hopefully. So uh, here's me talking to him about that. So welcome to the show, Dan. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, yeah, good, good. So the new release of Elementary OS is on the horizon, and that's going to be version 5, which is Juno. Uh, so what's going to be different about it, apart from the, the previous release being 0.4, and now you've bump the version all the way to five that's kind of one naming difference and it was the last version was based on 1604 ubuntu now this new version juno is based on 1804 so that's kind of the the underpinnings of it but what's going to be different for the people who uh, upgrade to this so uh there's actually quite a significant list of of new features coming in and um, one of the new big ones is uh, nightlight support uh we have a new uh shortcut overlay uh, kind of cheat sheet thing like uh, Unity 7 used to have. Uh, we have a new picture-in-picture -picture mode. Uh, we have uh, redesigns for many of our apps, like we redesigned album view and music. Uh, Photos now uses the dark style. Uh, Terminal got a whole bunch of new features, including a new style switcher. Uh, we've 
upgraded our text editor into more of an IDE, and that comes with its own whole set of new features and a style switcher as well, things like that. Uh, we have mobile broadband device support and a new uh, location agent and the privacy settings that go with that. Wow, that's quite a big list. The um, the overlay with the shortcuts, unlike with Unity 7, where you have to hold down the Windows key or Super key, now you just tap it and it comes up, which I think is a nice touch. I uh, instantly found that. Yeah, and this is also configurable, which is nice. We have, um, I know, a significant amount of users that are coming from other platforms where this brings up the applications menu. So there's a setting for that where you can switch it if that's what you prefer. Yeah, because the Windows key and space seems a bit counterintuitive to me. Where does that come from? So uh, historically, um, I believe the first application that probably used that was um, one of the uh, launchers on the Mac. I think it was probably like Quicksilver or something. And uh, then so um, the Gnome Do team used the same shortcut there. And so it's always been the same for us since Gnome Do, like way back in the day. Okay. So when is this beta going to be out then? We're speaking a couple of days before this is actually released. Is the beta going to be available when uh, people listen to this? Um, We're definitely working as fast as we can. Uh, One of the things that's about how we do our release cycles is we don't have dates. We have task lists. So uh, we release when the the list is through. And for a beta list right now, uh, I think we're down to like five issues. So we're... It depends on how long it takes them to get done, but I think we're like really, really close to being able to push out our first beta. Okay, so what's left to fix then? Uh, there's a couple of uh, regressions that we're dealing with um, due to changes in GTK and Mutter and Ubuntu itself. Um, one of them uh, had to do with pulling in the GPG keys that we use for our repositories. Uh, another one has to do with um, some kind of like crashes that were introduced uh, due to changes in the Mutter API. So it's like when you maximize a window and switch workspaces at the same time. And and so there's just like little weird things like that that are due to uh, upstream API changes. So when can you actually start working on these releases? Because with it being based on Ubuntu, was it around feature freeze that you like really got going with this? Or could you get started before that? So actually, we, we kind of started uh, working on porting uh, to all the new libraries back when uh, 1710 came out. And that's when I started working on uh, updating all the GTK CSS, because that was like a huge transition. And nobody really um, could get started working on any of their stuff until that worked, because that like stopped all the applications from working, basically. Okay. And so Ubuntu 18.04 that this is based on gets five years of support. Uh, What exactly is the situation with elementary OS then? So all of the updates uh, that canonical issues to Ubuntu come down into elementary OS unfiltered. And for anything that we carry patches on, those are uh, automatically updated. So we don't uh, hold back any updates. So you'll still get all the same security and stability updates from upstream Ubuntu. Um, So far, our policy has kind of been that we will push out uh, first-party updates, including new features for all of our applications, about until we start hitting API breaks for the next release. And then uh, for our third-party developers, um, it's kind of up to them how long they want to continue pushing their applications through App Center to that platform. So is the recommendation essentially upgrade as soon as possible then? I mean, I would, uh, you get, you know, all the new features, you get better hardware support. There's always stability and performance improvements, especially when you're jumping up to like a new kernel. Um, you know, you're getting new drivers. So things are going to be a lot smoother. 
Yeah. And so what about the upgrade path then? Is it nuke and pave or do you actually have a means to do a proper update? It's still, I think, going to be nuke and pave. Um, we've been doing a lot of work uh, with the System76 crew on the new installer. And one of the features that we're looking at there is uh, doing like a recovery partition method. And we're talking about uh, an upgrade path where we'd be able to do kind of a... Uh, install as an upgrade through the recovery partition in the future, maybe. So we're, we're trying to kind of figure out what is our release upgrade story. And like, as we're digging into it, um, it it's kind of evolving. And, and so we're not quite settled on how it should work. But is it actually going to be in the final release of Juno then? Uh, we actually punted the installer from the uh, initial release of Juno. So it's shipping in Pop! OS right now, and it's getting a lot of good testing in there. But uh, there's another component that we need that goes side-by-side side with it, and that's initial setup. And because Pop! OS uses GNOME, they can use the GNOME initial setup. But this is heavily tied into GNOME Shell and GDM and components that we don't use in elementary OS. So there's still like a whole other set of work that needs to be done for initial setup in elementary OS before we can migrate to the new installer so what we're looking at a point one release maybe for that that's what we're really aiming for we're hoping we can get it out for the point one and roughly how long after the original release will that be do you think uh historically the point releases that we've done have kind of matched up with uh the ubuntu lts point releases so uh when they do the new like uh, hardware enablement stack and stuff like that then we release another iso that that kind of updates to all that new stuff yeah, you must get very sick of being asked when, when, when. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of, um, you know, if it was up to me, it'd be now, you know. But uh, we're a really small team uh, with very limited funding. So, you know, we're working a, as diligently as we can to push things out as, as soon as possible. We, we want to make sure that the quality is high and we don't sacrifice uh, the quality of our releases for trying to have specific dates. So you mentioned having a small team there. And something that's cropped up with a couple of distros over the last week or so, um, with I think Void, Linux, and Corora, is that the kind of devs of those have just gone MIA, and uh, the projects basically had to shut down as a result of that, because they don't have proper governance in place. Is that something that you have got taken care of, or what? Well, I, I think one significant um, difference is that working on elementary OS is my full-time job. Um, you know, elementary as a company is my employer. So, uh, you know, this is what I do to eat. And so um, it would be like in order for me to not do this, I would have to go get another job. I think it's like more, it's not like something that I'm doing on the side that it's like, oh, this is, you know, tough to do in addition to my work. Like this is my work. Yeah. But there's always that kind of hit by a bus scenario, isn't there? Yeah. And in that case, um, we actually have been going through um, for quite a while now and making sure that uh, when we're creating projects, we're not uh, assigning ownership to individuals. We have teams for this and we make sure that you know more than one person is assigned to a team. And, and we're trying to make sure that in every step of the process that the development and the governance is more open, it's more clear. Um, you know, who steps in to to this place or who has control of these things and, and make sure that it's not one person, but make sure it, it's teams and that there's more overlap between people. So I've got to ask you about the potential controversies here. Um, first, the 1804, the main Ubuntu, has got this metrics collection on the first start. Presumably that's not something you're going to be taking part in then. 
Uh, no, part of our kind of platform policy is that we don't uh, collect user data. And I don't think that that would kind of fit into our policy. Yeah, not to mention all this GDPR stuff, just making it a nightmare to do anything like that. Right. Um, and the, the other thing is this um, uh, App Center payments um, thing with the updates. Um, what exactly was decided about that in the end? Are you going with the original plan? Uh, yeah, so we've got um, you know a significant amount of feedback from people about different concerns they've had, and we've tried to address it as, as much as possible and make things as clear as possible. We've gone through different iterations, and I think that uh, so far that uh, internally people uh, seem to be okay with it. Um, you know who's using it so far. I think we'll really get more feedback during public beta um, to see like if things are more difficult for people or not, and to find out how successful it is. And so people who are really itching to get their hands on this public beta, um, what's the best way for them to find out about it? Follow you on Twitter or Medium or what? Uh, there's definitely a, def a bunch of different ways to follow us. We're on Twitter, we're on Medium, we're on Mastodon, Facebook, Google+. Um, if you go to our website, uh, elementary.io, you can see up in the top right uh, corner of the page that's all our social media links and we'll post everywhere when it's out. Yeah, and presumably you want testing and bug reporting. That's kind of the whole point of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, another couple of big reasons that we have the beta process is for our third-party developers to have time to publish their applications so that when we do the final release, we don't have an empty app store. And then also uh, give our translators time to come in and make sure that they get as many translations pushed as possible for the final release. Do you need help with that then? Absolutely. And anybody who uh, wants to get involved in any way they can, can go to our website, uh, elementary.io forward slash get involved, or there's a link in the header on every page. It's funny, whenever I look for these translations and people needing help with it, German is always the first one that gets done. I don't know why, but there just seems to be quite a lot of German users who are very keen to help with that stuff. Do you find that? Um, you know, I think that one of our strongest translation communities right now is actually um, Brazilian Portuguese. All right. Yeah, we've got a really, really strong team. And there's actually, um, we, we tweeted out recently, I think we put it on all our social media, actually, um, that uh, part of the uh, Brazilian Portuguese community is actually going through and they're translating every single one of our blog posts. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, thanks a lot for coming on, man. Um, and thanks for the update. And I look forward to checking out the beta. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I've seen a lot of buzz about this elementary release. So it was good to hear from Daniel there about um, what's coming up in that. And we only scratched the surface, really. There's so much new stuff in it. So he will definitely be back on soon to tell us more about it. So I'll be back in a week with the guys for a normal late night Linux episode. And I'll be back in two weeks for another episode of Late Night Linux Extra. But in the meantime, then... I've been Joe, and see you later.